0: Man, big shout out to uh, Epiphany Brooklyn. Give you, give yourselves a hand. Like I don't know, y'all, y'all don't know how big of a deal this is for me. Like um, I'm from South Florida, and so um, in South Florida, growing up as a as a teenager or whatever, just going through life. Um, you know, we loved hip hop, but um, all my friends hated up north music, which would include New York. So um, so they hated it, but I had a fond love for it. So I would, after listening to Silk the Shocker and Master P and all of that, and then they would get out of my car, then I would put in some Black Star and some Biggie and all of that. So to be driving around Brooklyn today, it was like surreal. I'm like, I get to preach the gospel where I listen to all these dudes who help almost disciple me as a young adult, um, growing up. So man, this is a, this is a big, so give yourselves a hand for planting a church, um, in, in Brooklyn. And I'm just so encouraged. Um, and so, uh, let me pray for the word of God and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Heavenly father, I thank you so much for, um, these people you've gathered together for your namesake in Beth stuy in Brooklyn. Lord, you know the needs, you know the issues facing the city, facing the people that live and dwell here. And Lord, we pray that your power would dwell um, through these people into these streets. Lord, we want to see people transform. We want to see lives change. We want to see the captive set free. We want to see the blind eyes opened. We want to see all of those things. And so, Lord, I, I'm just so grateful to God that you have pulled these people together from all various backgrounds, cultures, uh, 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 stories, all kinds of things. You've gathered them together to worship your name and to bring transformation to this city. And so, Lord, I thank you for the honor and the privilege that I have to share the word with them. I pray that it would be an encouraging word, an uplifting word, a challenging word, a word that we would hear and not just be hearers, but we will be doers of your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to need some water, so excuse me. All right. So we're going to be looking at... Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 to 13. So if you have your Bible, please look at Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 to 13. Jeremiah 38. Man, got all kinds of stuff in my pocket. Okay. Jeremiah 38, verses 1 to 13. And we're looking at the verse... First few verses here, we're going to break this down. I think it'll be an encouraging word for you. It was encouraging to me, and so I pray that it will be uplifting to you as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Shephatiah the son of Matan, Gedaliah the son of Peshur, Jecol the son of Shelemiah, and Peshur the son of Malchiah heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. Thus says the Lord. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken Then the official said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. When Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, and heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Ebed-Melech went to the king's house and said to the king, my lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern and he will die there of hunger for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the uh, Ethiopian take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took that men with him and went to the house of the king and to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. So as Gabe said a moment ago, we're planting um, a church in uh, Brook- uh, Brooklyn. Man, wow. Uh, planting a church in Baltimore. Myself and Pastor Trevor from Epiphany Camden, maybe you've seen him, Melissa T, uh, get her album, it's on iTunes, all that. Um Please, uh, we, we we're considering this idea of planting, and you are a huge inspiration in that. So as a guy coming from South Florida um, to Camden to learn how to plant a church, do a residency, do all the stuff, travel, I came up to Epiphany Brooklyn's um, uh, vision nights, and I, came, and I got to see what this would look like in the early fledgling stages of a church plant in the city. And so now as we look towards Baltimore, we're, we're considering these things and we're taking notes and all of that. I'm looking at how fly this stuff is and I'm like, yo, this is dope. I don't know if we can be this cool in Baltimore because we're just not that cool, but whatever. And so we're doing all of that stuff. But the main goal of us doing this church plant, the main goal of you gathering here is, as I said in my prayer, that we would see lives transformed by the gospel. So the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose for us doing any of this stuff is not just so that we can sing nice songs, which that's nice. It's not just so that we can get together and pat one another on the back like we're doing a good job. That's good too. But the ultimate goal is that people that are dead in their trespasses and sins will come to new life in Jesus Christ. And so we work hard and we grind and we do all that stuff um, to do that. And so I realize in talking to you, many of you, some of you have already Um, made sacrifices in being a part of a new fledgling church in this city. So you've already kind of stepped out of your comfort zone into this space to say, you know what, we want to start a new work in this city that's got a lot of hostility, whether it's theologically, philosophically, socially, there's a lot of things that are coming against you. And if you don't know that, there are. And so, but as we consider that, I realize as a human being, That's not my tendency is to always want to stay on the front line. It's it's not my tendency to want to stay on the cutting edge of things because you get tired of always dealing with the hardship that comes with starting something new. And so for us as as people, we are always seeking to find a sense of comfort. Always seeking to find a, a, a nice cozy place where we're like, all right, listen, I worked so I'm done with that for a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But in this particular passage, I want us to see that we have to continually risk something. We have to continually be willing to risk our comfort for the sake of the gospel. That it's not something that we get to a point where we say, you know what? Hey, I'm a part of Epiphany Brooklyn. Listen, I'm just, you should just be happy I'm here. I, I mean, I'm good. Or I shared the gospel with my, my friends at work and all that. And, you know, I, hey, I did it, so I'm good. Like, uh, don't ask no more. Like, I'm good. But we have to continually fight to go against the grain as a Christian. You're continually fighting against this draw to just, you know, become lackadaisical. And so the, the title of my sermon is Risk is Right. It's right to take risks for the sake of the gospel. It's right to go against the grain for the sake of Jesus and his namesake. It's right to do the hard things, even though everything in you is saying, man, how much more do I have to do in light of all the stuff that I've already done? Man, God is calling us to continually risk because the risk is right. I would almost almost go to say is, if it feels risky, you're probably doing the right thing. If it feels too comfortable, if you're going like, man, this is, that's easy, then it probably is right in your pocket, in your comfort zone. But God would always call us to step out into these places that are kind of dangerous. Why? So that we can put his name to the test to see if he's really about what he says he is. And so for a guy like me to say, yo, why would you go to a city like bed Why would you go to a city like Baltimore where, man, they got last year 365 murders, one of the top most dangerous cities in the country, all that stuff, man, how, high poverty rate, all this. Why would you do that? Because I believe in this Jesus who said he can raise people from death to life. So I want to see, I want to see that happen. I want to put the gospel to the test. And if I I only take it to a nice, comfortable place, I don't get to see it as as big as it possibly could be. I want to see God God swag out with the gospel, if you will. I want to see him show off a little bit because I'm like, yo, I've seen him transform my life, my homeboy. But what about a city like Baltimore? What about a city like Bed-Stuy where it's like, nah, it could never happen there. I want to see it happen in that spot. And so for us, risk is right. Risk is right. And so we got a passage now that reminds us to keep taking risks for the gospel. Keep taking risks for the gospel. Um, so, first thing I want you to see is preaching the gospel is risky. Preaching the gospel is risky. Look at verses one through six. So, you got these four princes who've come to the king against the prophet Jeremiah who've come against the prophet Jeremiah. And they're upset with the prophet Jeremiah because of what he has declared from the Lord. Look at verse two. It says, Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, he who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall save his life as a he shall have his life as a prize of war and live. So in other words, we're looking at this guy named Jeremiah, who is the prophet. Lived seven, 600 years before Jesus. He's out there. Many of you are probably familiar with some verses in Jeremiah. Some of you, hopefully, you don't have any of those verses tattooed on your back or your arm because it's probably out of context. <laughs> what I mean is, a lot of us like the beginning of Jeremiah, and we, and we look at that. It's, it's, it's all sweet, cool, and good. Like, man, and I like it. I mean, it, it sounds really good, and we would love to claim this for ourselves. Wouldn't we? Look, I mean, just listen. Listen. Before I formed you, look, look at this is the first word that came to Jeremiah from God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Man, that sounds good. Like if, if you said that about me when I was born and I'm just a little baby and you're having a Lion King moment, like yo, you're gonna be a prophet to the nations, Charlie. Man, that sounds good. The problem is the problem is, it was going to be a hard word to the people. It wasn't going to be a, 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 a nice, sweet word to the people. It wasn't going to be always uplifting to the people. Now, it was going to be ultimately beneficial and life-giving to the people if they heeded what Jeremiah had to say. But if you stop right there, you're like, yo, that sounds so good, man, like, Jeremiah, you're going to be the man, bro, like, everybody's going to listen to you, you're going to be a prophet, I mean, and you just go down a little bit, because he says, man, I can't even really talk, God, I can't even really do too much, he said, listen, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord, okay, hold on now, he already put in, woven into this, this statement, I'm with you, and I'm going to need to deliver you at some point. So you haven't said anything yet. You haven't said anything to the people yet, but at some point you're going to get locked up to where I need to deliver you out. So we get to this passage and Jeremiah is delivering one of those words. He's already been in prison. He's already been thrown in the dungeon. Everybody in the city hates him. Nobody likes what he had to say. Wow, what what does he come to say? In this passage, he's telling the people, listen, The Babylonians are coming and God is saying, give up, give up, put your weapons down and go on and give yourselves over, surrender to the Babylonians. Now that's a hard word, but what is he saying to them? Listen, if you, if you put your, if you put your knives down, if you put your swords down, you'll live. God is telling, He's promised you, like, listen, if you surrender now, you surrender, you will go over there and you will save your life as a prize of war. You'll be all right. But you're going to have to give up your crib. You're going to have to leave all the stuff behind. And, matter of fact, you might go into slavery. Yeah, that's right. But you're going to live. All right? So, my main goal is that y'all live. But in us and to the people here, what do they hear? Surrender? You're a traitor. You're not with us. You don't, I mean, you, you, so you're, you're, you're you're God's man and you hear from God. And so only thing you got to tell us is some bad news. And it's similar to us because the first thing you have to tell somebody if you want to share with them the good news is the what? The bad news. Listen, my brother, you, I mean, you wilding, you in sin. You in sin, man, like you can't, you can't be with God and live like this. Ah, come on, man. I'm trying to be, you know, I heard Charlemagne say the other day, he's blessed and highly favored. So, uh, ah, so you, man, see, I ain't with your church because I got another church where they tell me all the good, sweet, comfortable stuff. And so we we have to come back in and see, no, Jeremiah is saying, listen, if you resist what I'm telling you, you're resisting the hand of God that which is against you. It's not me, the prophet, that you're angry with. It's not you personally that your friend has a beef with when you tell them that they're in sin or that they're, 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 they're uh, 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 sociologically or theologically wrong. No, it ain't, it ain't just that they mad with you. It's that no, you've said something about them that God is against them. And that's a harsh, that's a scary, that's a that's a fearful, that's a that's all kinds of things that nah, I ain't with that, because everybody my whole life has told me that I'm good. And you're saying, no, so you're a sellout. You're a sellout. Look at verse three. Look at verse three. Thus says the Lord the city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. So give up. There are moments in our lives where we have to consider, and if you're a Christian, at some point you had to surrender. You had to surrender your rights. You had to surrender. We just sang the song, it sounds so good, but then it's hard when I'm in a relationship and we ain't married and I'm trying to make a move and then I got to surrender my desires Because someone else told me so. Because God of heaven told me I had to. Like, this isn't the way to go. And so there's there's moments where we can throw in the towel and it ain't punking out. There's moments when we can quit some things and it ain't giving up. It's the right thing to do. And so to fight the Babylonians in this particular context would be to fight against God and his Word. And Jeremiah, as a man of God, stands tall and says, put your weapons down and surrender. That's a hard word to tell people. That's a hard word to tell people. To get out of, I mean, the city is under siege. And that the God who can rescue us is telling you to surrender and trust him over your circumstances. What logically seems right. That's what sometimes we have to do. So you see what happens? These four political officials come to the king and ask for the death penalty for Jeremiah. It's risky to proclaim the truth of God. It's not easy to tell the world what God has said. It isn't hard to use. Now, listen, it ain't hard to use religious mantras like I just said. Well, we're blessed and highly favored. You know, you just ask God and he got your back. You know, everything's just going to be sweet. He ain't going to give you nothing that you can't handle. So don't worry about it. You know, cast all your cares upon him. Now, all of that stuff sounds good just from a standard religious statement. But if you've not surrendered yourself to Christ and submitted to him, it don't mean nothing. So we could easily go around with cliches and trivial words to people and they would love us and accept us. But the moment you tell somebody that the only way to come, through, to, come to God is through Christ, now you got an issue. Oh, so you saying you better than me. Oh, so how you know, how you know that for sure? How you know that's the truth? Because, I mean, I'm looking at my situation. And so now all of a sudden you're feeling like you've done something wrong when in actuality all you've done is shared the truth in love with a friend, family member, coworker. It's hard to speak the inspired word of God, but you need to be ready to deal with whatever consequences may come for the sake of the life of the person. Jeremiah could have easily said, man, I ain't saying that. I got my own situation to look out for. I, I'm dealing with my own. I'm scared too. I'm going to get, shoot, I'm not trying to get killed by the Babylonians out there. Man, I, Man, y'all tripping. God, you want me to tell them that? No, nah, man, they already threw me in jail for saying something. You wild. And so you got all these things where internally, relationally, he's torn. He's torn and going, man, I don't know if I want to say that. But he puts himself on the line. He doesn't say some cute statements. We're all about that raw, uncut, true gospel. The gospel that can save lives. The gospel that can rescue lost people. The gospel that can open up blind eyes. That's what we're about. So if I want to see that, I've got to give it to him how it's been delivered to me. How it's been delivered to me. So, Jeremiah has these political officials seek his death. He was was discouraging the people, walking around saying, man, y'all better give up. Y'all better give up, man. Listen, God said, if if you go over there, you're going to be all right. But I'm telling you, you got to drop your weapons, drop your swords. And people are getting discouraged. And I can imagine what they're saying is true. He's not going around telling people, man, it's going to be all right. Hey, we're going to make it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, just keep fighting. No, he's telling them, man, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. And I want to save your life. So you have to do something illogical in order to see that take place. But you have to ultimately not trust what I'm saying. I've said, thus says the Lord. I've said what God has said. So you have to trust me even though, you have to trust the word of God even if you don't like me. And So as Christians today, we got to be very careful because looking at this passage, if we're hoping a political official will come and rescue us and protect us, you're in a bad situation. Look at what King Zedekiah did. He was a pushover. He was a pushover. How do I know this? Because in the last chapter, he's gone to Jeremiah in private and said, what is the word of God said? He said, yeah, I got you. All right, come on up out of prison. Man, they treating you dirty. So he's put him in position. And so you'd think that when, they, when these political officials came to, king, to the king saying, man, listen, Jeremiah's out here telling these people to give up and surrender. What you going to do about it? We need to kill this man because he's making everybody scared and nervous. He's bringing the morale down. What does he do? Man, the king can't do nothing. I can't do nothing. It's up to y'all. He was a pushover. He didn't defend the man of God. He gives into their plot. Saying, said, his, my hands are tied. The psalmist in Psalm 146 verse 3 says, put your trust in princes, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. In fact, there's, man, this is a similar picture to if you remember what happened to Jesus who was the man of God, who had been healing people, speaking the truth about the kingdom of God, who had been loving on and feeding people. And then when he is brought before Pilate, what does Pilate say? The one who can stop this from happening. The one who can stop all the craziness that's going on. And he can spare Jesus' life. What does he do? I wash my hands of this situation. And so for us, I ain't going into no politics or nothing like that, but I'm just saying, if you're waiting on a political figure to rescue you, it's not going to work. And we don't have have anywhere in our history of Christian history, if we're walking with the Lord, that they're going to come in and rescue and defend us. So we walk with God and we pray for our officials. So saints of God, don't be like, King Zedekiah, though, do. don't be like him who punks out under pressure. Preaching the gospel, standing for what is right, is risky. And if we hold tight to Christ, what does He say? We will spare our lives. You're in good hands, not with all state, but with Jesus. <laughs> We're in good hands when we trust when we trust our, when, we, when we entrust ourselves to the Word of God. Not just our feelings or our emotions or circumstances. No, we preach the gospel in in season and out of season, defending the word of God, contending for the faith. All of those things. Why in in discomfort and disarray for the sake of the kingdom of God going forward? But for us, man, we got we got Twitter followers and Instagram friends and 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 all kind of stuff. I need likes on my situation to make me feel good. And I ain't trying to to compromise none of that, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, woe to you when when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jeremiah had been walking around with the other prophets. They were the false prophets. What were the false prophets saying? Peace, peace. That man, y'all ain't got to worry about nothing. Everything is good. Don't worry about them them, them Babylonians and all that. God is with us. But then the man of God spoke a word directly counter to that, and he was thrown. They they coming at the king talking about we need to put him to, to death. Preaching the gospel is risky, and it comes with consequences. So for Jeremiah, they dropped Jeremiah in a cistern. And so a cistern is a is a is a um a storage, a way that they would store grain and water and all kinds of things in the ancient Near East. So what it was is like a chimney. If you got a you got a long stack at the top and then it's around, it's rounded out at the bottom, but it was underground. So all you would see is kind of like a well, but there's no source of water underneath. It was just there to keep keep things cool or to store things in the ground. And so it would be three, four feet. Wide at the circle at the top, and then you could send a bucket or something down there and you can get some water out or you get your grains out, whatever you were storing down in there. And so for Jeremiah, this is what they did. They said, Let's put him in the cistern. So it's a long, skinny neck, and then there's just this big cavern down at the bottom. So they put Jeremiah, they dropped my man Jeremiah down in there. And the Bible describes what they did, what it was like in there. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. Look how much mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. So can you imagine being dropped, lowered down into this, uh, probably four or five feet deep into this cavern underground. And then there's, it was he probably thought it was water in there, but there was no water. And he gets down in there and it's nothing but mud and pitch black. And you're sinking into the mud. So like quicksand, the more you move, the more you sink. And there's no place for you to go. And you just got to hope that somebody hears or something out there. And so he, this is the consequence of him preaching the good news. That sounded like bad news. They gently laid him down into the hole that were his body ever discovered, it wouldn't look like anybody did anything wrong. They laid him down in such a gentle way so that, man, if his bones were discovered, it wouldn't look like nobody sinned against the man of God, that nobody set out to kill him, but just that maybe he fell down in the hole. They sought to cover it up, the fact that they stood against the prophet of God. That should have been the end of the story for my man, Jeremiah. That should have been the end of the story for us. That should have been the end of the story for him. But what was the promise that God had given Jeremiah when he spoke to him? Remember what I said? I'll deliver you. So that should have been the end of the story, but let's go to verse 7. When Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin Gate. Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, "My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern." Second thing I want you to see is that confrontation is risky. Confrontation is risky. Few things that's so dope about this passage when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. All right, now that means he's from Ethiopia. That means he's from Africa. That means he's black. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So there's a black dude in the Bible <laughs> doing some good work right now. Okay? So if somebody come in, man, it's a white man's religion. How? Sway? Because, listen, he was in the Ethiopian. And, listen, I want to be clear about that. I'm, I'm making a point of that. Simply because the Bible kept saying, Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian. So I'm, it's not that I'm trying to be racial and, man, yeah, you know what I'm saying, we represent for the people. No, the Bible wanted to point out the fact of who he was, what his origin was, what his story was. We don't know about all the other stuff. We know he's from Africa. <laughs> and this is 600 years before Jesus. and he's re- And he's rocking for God. And and we go later on to find out, man, that that God said to him, because you trusted in me, your life will be spared too. So listen, if if somebody comes at you, that's the white man's religion. How, bro? There's an Ethiopian in here, man. (laughs) Ethiopian, bro. It kept saying it. So that's why I keep saying it. That's the only reason. All right? So so Ebelech is an Ethiopian who is a eunuch which probably means he, he is enslaved. Not in the same way that we think of American slavery, probably. Worse in some ways, better in other ways. So he's been brought in, probably kidnapped from his homeland, and brought in to work for the king exclusively. If, he, if they say he's a, a eunuch, that probably means he's been emasculated. And he serves in the king's house to do the king's bidding. Now, if you go a little bit further, because of that, he cannot ceremonially worship with the people of God. So the Israelites who are here, who are all nervous and scared, but they would go to the temple to worship, he can't enter into there because he, he's defiled. So he can't be among the people of God. He can't worship with the people of God. And he's exiled and outcasted from his own people. So the last person you would expect to be stepping up for the man of God in this particular foreign culture is this Ethiopian eunuch because he's got his own baggage. He's got his own beef. He's got his own issues. But what happens? What happens? A slave who's been kidnapped, emasculated, steps up in the picture to save the man of God. God uses the unlikely black dude to reach down into the pit to save Jeremiah. He uses the most unlikely people that are willing to step up to the plate. One of the things, I love movies. I love movies. But I love the the best movies are the movies that when you get to the end and you realize there was a major plot twist, and then you got to go back to the whole beginning of the movie and watch it all over again because you weren't expecting that. God does that all the time. So the last person you would expect to come walking into this scene right now to save Jeremiah is this black dude who's serving in the castle. They go, yo, king, what's going on? So this is a major plot twist that nobody would have seen coming. So folks all around the kingdom have heard. Jeremiah the prophet, you heard about Jeremiah? Went out on Facebook, somebody was there, Facebook live in it. Yo, I'm out here, check it. They about to put Jeremiah in the cistern, it's crazy. So they out there doing all of that. So word does spread, but nobody came to, nobody came to represent for Jeremiah. Nobody came to advocate for him. Nobody stood up to the plate for him. So this dude comes out of nowhere. Ebed-Melech's compassion outweighed his fear of confrontation. Ebed-Melech set, set aside his comforts and put himself in a risky situation. Put himself in a risky situation. Why? Because he's got to go put his finger in the chest of the king. Ebed, who, you? Not you. You going to come and, and tell me about what happened to Jeremiah? Man, go get me some water and sit down somewhere. We at war. Like, man, ain't nobody trying to hear what you got to say. He's put himself in a risky situation and he, probably, he could have found himself bedfellows with Jeremiah down in the cistern. So rather than him being so consumed with his own self protection, he says, No, I got to confront the king and risk. It's right to risk in confrontation to save the life of others. It's right to go up and confront some things. So why didn't others step up? Why didn't anybody else step up to, to represent for Jeremiah? Because nobody liked what Jeremiah had to say. Nobody liked what he had to say. No, Everybody was tired of hearing what Jeremiah was saying from the word of God. So man, God comes in and uses this man. Verse 7, we see that Ebed-Melech was bold in his confrontation. I'm not a confrontational dude. I don't like that kind of stuff. But I'm looking at this man who was just a servant in the king's house. He was bold in his confrontation. He went out to the king and spoke to him to his face. No sub-tweets, no likes, nothing like that. He ain't block him on Facebook so you ain't know he ain't friends with you and all of that. Nah, he walked out from wherever he was when he heard, knew that the king was sitting at the Benjamin gate, and he walked out to him. He was bold in his confrontation. In order to do what God has called us to do, we must be bold. In order to go out into these streets and proclaim this stuff and to live this stuff how we say it, and we all about Jesus and represent for the gospel and all of that, we have to be bold in our proclamation. Now, that ain't mean you gotta be all loud and boisterous and rude. There's a difference between being rude and bold. But we have to be bold in our proclamation. We're not fearful people. Why? Because God is with us. I think about the Apostle Paul. Paul got stoned in Lystra, Paul got stoned. He stayed, he's outside the city, left for dead. Rather than Paul, I don't know, maybe he had some screws loose. Maybe he got hit too hard in the head. But Paul, I'm thinking, Paul, you got beat down. They stomped you. They hit you in the head with rocks. Keep on trucking to the next town, my brother. Just keep it moving. You don't got to go back. Paul walked right back into Lystra. And that's where we pick up Timothy. Timothy goes on to past the church plants in other places. So I don't know, there's this foolish nature about being a Christian that we just go against the grain like that sometimes. But we must be bold and not fearful. Eben Melech was morally outraged. He was fed up with the situation. He was fed up. He, was, he had a righteous indignation about what had happened to the prophet. Look at verse nine. My Lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah. They have done evil. It's not that, man, that was messed up. It's not that, man, wow, man, I don't know if I would have done it like that. It's not that he would have just, he would have waxed it a little bit nicer. No, he said, these men have done evil. And by saying that these men have done evil to the prophet Jeremiah, he is implicating the king as well. So he spoke the truth to power. He was confrontational. He was willing to stand up and say, this isn't right, this is wrong, this is evil, and we have to be willing to do the same thing. Listen, that's a risky move. Who are you to tell me this is wrong? Who are you to say, man, so since when did you get all high and holy? You, not you. And it's the same type of situation that we would face. It's a risky move, but he exposed the king in confronting him because the king was complicit. And Ebek Millik is not just, listen to me, he's not just an angry black man. I love it that he is a black dude and he's angry, but he's not just an angry black dude. This is a sober, rational, clear-minded thing that he is doing. He's walking out. He's processing, man, I could die. Wow, but Jeremiah's down in the cistern. He's gonna die, and he's going all kinds of things. He's thinking through all the implications of what he's saying, and as he goes out to the king, he is being clear-minded and sober in what he in his disposition. Paul tells us something else in uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, listen, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound Teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the myths. Listen to this: As for you, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now that's written to Timothy as a pastor in a in a crazy city, but that's also written to us as any Christian. As for you, be sober-minded. We don't back down because stuff gets hard. We stay clear. We don't get emotional because somebody came at us. Why? Because I know you ain't mad with me personally. You mad with the word of God. The risk is worth it. The risk is worth it. Verse 11 to 13. Many times we don't take a risk of sharing the gospel with others or speaking up for others because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid we might lose a relationship. We're afraid it might cost us a little something, cost us time. I ain't got time to deal with them. I don't like them. They said this stuff about me. I ain't gonna share nothing with them. In our text, we are faced with a situation that none of us would like to be in. That your life is on the line for speaking the truth on behalf of another person. That's where Jeremiah was, and that's what ebed Melek was. But we serve a God who is greater than any of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says this. Then the king, then the king who was implicated, then the king who was a, a, a punk, who didn't stand up for the man of God, then the king who had the right to kill ebed Melek, then the king commanded Ebed-melech the Ethiopian take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies the risk is worth it the risk is worth it we serve a god who has the heart of the king in his hands proverbs 21 says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the lord and he turns it wherever he will So you have the opportunity. Listen, preaching the gospel is risky. Then I'm going confrontation with this gospel is risky. But I got to go speak the truth to somebody and I don't know what's going to happen. But we're we're resting our souls in the fact that the king's heart is in the Lord's hands. Let us be reminded of the doctrine of sovereignty reminded of the of the power and the prestige and the majesty of god that he is the one who rules and reigns over all things now it can seem like your boss is it can seem like you're the person your relationship is it can seem like your friends or family members man they can ruin everything about me they control me on facebook man it's just i don't want to deal with none of that but listen i serve the god who rules and reigns over all things that's the doctrine of sovereignty So what gives me rest when I go to a city like Baltimore is that I I walk with the God who created all things. It's not that I'm big and bad and bold. No, I ain't ain't got a whole lot of swag. It took me a lot to get this shirt so I could come up here and look like something for y'all. So so, but when I go into a, a difficult situation or when I'm walking around and I know that I could be shot or killed or my family is put up on the line, where do I rest? the ruling reign of God. That even if a thug tells me and puts a gun to my head and says, yo, you could die if you keep talking this stuff, I say, yo, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Shoot. Shoot me. Because I get to be with Jesus. It's a win-win situation. So the risk is worth it. Why? What, 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 what happens he says to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, the servant, man, go get 30 dudes and go pull Jeremiah up out of the hole. And look at, look at Ebed-Melech. He goes running into the house. And see, some of y'all are saying, well, I ain't a pastor. I ain't been to seminary. I don't know how to talk like that, all this and that. Ebed-Melech was a servant. And God used him and his robe specifically to be able to rescue Jeremiah. How do I know that? Because Ebak Melek went into the back of the house where he, where he knew it was some old rags and some stuff at that nobody else ain't know about. So he went back there and pulled out the, the old rags, knew where some ropes was at, and said, listen, the man had a plan. We're going to get Jeremiah out, but we ain't, gonna do it. We ain't even going to do them rough. I'm going to get them rags. We're going to wrap it around the rope. We're going to pull them out comfortably. We're going to pull Jeremiah out comfortably. So he tells down to Jeremiah, yo, Jeremiah, you down there? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Yo, um, you don't even know me. It's the black dude that works in the house. (laughs) Okay, cool, man. What's up? Listen, I'm going to throw some old dirty rags down there. I want you, I'm going to drop some ropes. I want you to wrap the rags around the ropes. Put them under your armpits. Look at this specificity specificity, and like, 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 this is crazy. He knew how to rescue Jeremiah, comfortably. So for us, when we go in and we preach the gospel, I ain't telling you to go preach no hard, rough word to people. Again, yeah, it's hard and it's cutting, but man, it's loving. So that even as we rescue people, we don't pull their arms off. Man, you stupid. Man, just come on to Jesus, man. Quit wadling. Ah, and so now nah, we ain't got to do it like that. Listen, bro, I love you. But if you keep on going this way, it's going to go bad for you. For the wages of sin is death. Man, but man, I serve a Jesus that came to bring life. Come on, man. People go, ah, oh, I, can, I can rock like that. Why? Because you, you gave them the rags and the ropes to pull them out of their sticky situation. So the risk is worth it. I'm going to say this last thing. If you've watched carefully at this entire story, Jesus has been all throughout it. See, when we walk through the scriptures, Jesus even said it himself. Jesus even said it himself. He says, all the scriptures point to me. All of them. So I've been walking y'all through Ebed-Melech, the black dude, love it, Ethiopian. And then Jeremiah, this punk pushover king. But listen. Listen. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And that is they bear witness about me. This whole story has been about the work that Jesus would come to do. How do I know? Let's look at it together real quick. Jesus is the greater Jeremiah who came to proclaim the truth so that lives will be eternally spared. Jesus is the greater Jeremiah who proclaims the good news yet is condemned to death. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the greater Jeremiah who could not, who could find no advocate, although he came to bring a message of rescue and salvation. Jesus is the greater Ebed-Melech, who was far from his heavenly home and yet became a servant. Jesus said, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greater ebed Melech, who was unknown, yet came, became known only to serve. Not only to serve, but to save. Who is this man who comes preaching these things? Where did he learn such things as this? Jesus... Is the greater Ebed-Melech who thwarts the plans of kings and judges in favor of his people. Jesus is the greater Ebed-Melech who called out to you when you were sinking and dying in your own sin. Jesus is the greater Ebed-Melech who gently lifts you up out of the jaws of death. And brings you back to life. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set liberty to those who are oppressed. And God didn't give Jeremiah a pass because he went through some hard stuff. Because after Jeremiah got up out of the pit... He had to go right back to the king and tell him some more hard truth. So for us, we rest in the beauty and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ because he's died for us. He's rescued us, but he has also sent us into a hostile world to take risk on his behalf. But this is a risk if you know you're going to come out all right. How risky is a surefire situation? How risky is it to know that the kingdom of God will reign, that he will come back and transform and renew all things? It's not a risk at all. It's a momentary risk. But we gladly take it for the sake of our King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love, for your mercy. I thank you for taking the risk on our behalf. Lord, you saw us broken, beat up. We ain't have nothing to offer, but you sit your very best on our behalf. Lord, when we didn't even know you, you had died for us. And some would say, man, how could you risk on my behalf? You know all my struggles. You know how, how much I be wilding, how much I will be dealing with. How, how did you know? Because, Lord, you knew how sweet things would be. You say to all of us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, you know how sweet things would be if we would just trust you. It ain't a risk for you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness like ebed Melek, that you would help us to stand on the gospel like Jeremiah, that you would continue to deliver people from the pit like you expressed in this story. Lord, would your gospel go forward through each and every man and woman in this, in this vicinity of this church, Lord, would you transform this city because of what you have done? And would we get the testimony like Ebed-Melech in chapter 39, that because you trusted me, your life will be spared. May that be our testimony, God, that when we get to that last day, when we are fearful and nervous and trembling and saying, I don't know if I've done everything right, I pray, God, that these men and women would look in your face and you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have trusted me with your life, and now you have earned your life. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that we will be men and women who proclaim your gospel with boldness, with truth, and with love and compassion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.